We're going to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, continuing on in this series, Stepping Deeper into Faith. And uh, we've been looking at all these examples of faith that are given to us in Hebrews chapter 11, and what we can learn about faith from their stories, from their, um, from their examples in the scripture. And we're going to do that once again today with verses 8 through 10, 8 through 10 this morning, as we look at our first shot of Abraham. He's going to come back a couple times in the Hebrews 11, but today we're going to start with the first part of the story of Abraham, also called Abram uh, in the Old Testament, as you're going to see uh, when we get into that. So we're going to need Genesis chapter 12 this morning as well. So if you've got a bookmark or something, stick it over in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be picking up there with Abraham's story a little bit later as we dive in. So um, one of the things that, uh, that I will just confess to you this morning um, is that your pastor is not perfect, and uh, one of the things that drives me nuts that just... <clears throat> I, I hate waiting. I just do. I don't, is anybody else with me on this? Like, let's just be honest in church this morning. Like, at the grocery store lines, in traffic, in the Sam's Club gas station line. I'm just like, come on, people. Right? Like, it... it I hate, I hate waiting, and I just, I, I want, I'm always looking at what's the fastest way I can get through this process, I can get through this line, like I'm always trying to size it up, I'm standing there in the grocery store getting ready to pick my line, I'm like, all right, this one's got three people, but this one's got two people, but they've each got two items, and this person over here's got a whole cart full of stuff, so like, but that checker is, seems like they're going faster, and they're, they're sipping on some Red Bull, so that might be an option, and, and this kid in this cart's already chewed off the price tag on something, so that's definitely a price check issue, like, so I'm trying to figure out all these things, and which lane is going to go the fastest, and for all that work, for all that effort, I'll just be honest, my results on that are probably about 50-50, right, like, it doesn't even seem to matter sometimes, because here's the reality is, I don't know the future. I know that's not shocking to you, but sometimes we think we can, right? Like we think if we, can, we can plan it right, we can prepare right, we can do all the stuff, and we can figure out how this is going to go, and we can guarantee a certain result if we play our cards right and what we want to see happen in the future. But it doesn't work. And not just in grocery store lines, but in life. If we're really being honest and truthful, we have little to no control over how the future of our life is going to play out. But thankfully, the Lord does. The Lord is sovereign, as we're going to see today, meaning that he has full control over all of creation, including the future of our lives, and he has a plan for our lives. And that plan is good. We just sang about how good God is this morning. His plans for us are good, and they are better than whatever plan we could concoct for our future. But so often we fail to believe that. And so part of faith, part of stepping deeper into faith, is believing that God has a better plan for your future than you do. Abraham believed that. We're going to see that in his story today. And because of that, we're going to see that faith follows God to a better future. Faith follows God to a better 
future, better than I can come up with, better than I can plan, better than I can orchestrate on my own, if I'll just follow him, it'll be better. So with that in mind, go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 8 this morning. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So let's pause there. First thing I want you to see, we're going to start with just verse 8. Just verse 8. Point number one, believe God's plan is better. That's where it starts. Believe that God's plan is better. It starts off, it says that Abraham obeyed when he was called. So what's this talking about? We, we know from the Old Testament that, that Abraham was called by God to follow him. Right? The, first, the first thing we know about Abraham is that God called him out of his life that he was living to follow him in a new, fresh way. And this is referring to the start of the whole story of God's people. Right? The whole Israelite nation, the Hebrew nation, it all starts right here when God called Abraham. And what's interesting to me is in Hebrew, in Hebrews here, in, in verse 8, the Greek, the original language there, actually says it like this. Being called, he obeyed. Just very short, simple, straight to the point. There, there's, there's a sense of urgency in Abraham's obedience. Right? There, when God called him, there was no hesitation there was no procrastination. There was no delay. What Hebrews is telling us is that he immediately obeyed by faith. And so to see that, I want us to look at it. Go to Genesis chapter 12 now. Flip back to the beginning of your Bible. Very first book, Genesis chapter 12. And I want you to see the story of Abraham and how this played out. Because there's so much we can learn from his example here. So chapter 12, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, again, same guy, all right, Abram, Abraham, same guy, just different name. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So it starts off and it just says, the Lord said to Abraham, which you know was a banner day, right? Like, like this didn't happen all the time. Like, sometimes we read the Old Testament, we think that like God's just like constantly talking to people. You got to remember, there's like decades and decades between those occurrences, right? Like, this is the first time Abraham has ever heard from God. It won't be the last, but it'll be one of the few. God spoke to Abraham. Big moment. And he said three things. He said, first of all, go from your country. Go from your homeland. Leave your home. Leave the only place that you've ever known the place you grew up, where all your connections are, where all the people are that you know, where all of, all of your, your special place of connection, I want you to leave that place. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, I know we live in St. Louis, and a lot of times in St. Louis, St. Louis people grow up here, and then they stay here, and they raise their families here, and they raise their families here, and it's just kind of a thing. Or even if they leave and go somewhere for a little while, they come back to live here because that's kind of a culture thing, and, and that's fine, that's great. But if you've ever had to leave, even for a season, home, wherever home felt like to you, maybe that's not here, maybe that's somewhere else, 
But if you had to leave your home, that's hard. I mean, Courtney and I, we didn't grow up in St. Louis, but we met here in St. Louis at college, and we, we started our life together here. We lived here for several years, and we taught school here and went to church here. And, and then when we went into full-time ministry, we had to leave, and we went to Indiana. And we were in Indiana for five years serving at a church there. But we would come back to visit family and visit friends, like, you know, you know periodically throughout the year. And every time we came home, I say home, every time we came back, as we were driving across Illinois, you kind of get to that place where you finally, it, you crest up over the horizon, and you see the arch kind of pop up, and you're just like, ah, home. Like, like we, we would see it, and it would, it would just be like, we're home. We, we, we'd see the river, we would see the bridge, like, there's something about home, wherever that is for you, and it's hard to leave that. And when we went out, when we got ready to go out and plant a church, we told God, hey, we'll go anywhere you want us to go. Blank check, anywhere you want us to go. But our hearts were for here. We love the city. We love St. Louis. We wanted to plant here, but we said, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do. Thankfully, he was gracious enough to grant us the desires of our heart. And we were able to come back here and start a church. It's hard. It's a big deal to leave your home. And that's exactly what he was telling Abram to do. Leave. And the thing is, Abram's never going to come back. God's leading him to a new home, which is a big deal. And it says, leave your country. And we found out, if you, if you kind of just turn back maybe a page in your Bible there in chapter 11, verse 28, we find out that Abraham's country or his city, more specifically, was Ur. Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where his family was from. And if we do some history research, some, some, um, some archaeological research, we find out some things about Ur. Ur was a very advanced city. It was a very advanced civilization, a very advanced culture. It was kind of a, a famous and prized city of the day in that region. Um, archaeology has done several digs there, and they found these very extravagant, like, two-story stone homes that were whitewashed on the outside for appearance. They had full, fully functioning kitchens and sanitation and everything in the home in this time period. Like, that's very advanced. And so, in other words, this would have been a very good place to live and not an easy place to leave. And so for, Ab for God to call Abraham out of this place, leaving such a great city would have required a great deal of faith and trust in the Lord. Faith that God had a better plan for his future than what Ur had to offer. So he says, leave your country. And then he says, number two, leave your kindred. Leave your family, leave your loved ones, leave those that you care the most about, right? The ones you have the closest relationships with, the ones who would ultimately be your legacy if you stayed. And this was an even more difficult command, I think, for Abraham because we find out again in chapter 11, right before this in verse 30, that they already knew that his wife, Sarai, or Sarah as she's called later, they already knew she was barren. They already knew she wasn't having any kids. And so now he's saying, I want you to leave all the family you have now with no hopes that you're going to have any more family in the future. It's a big deal. It required a step of faith that God had a better plan for the future. And then he said, also, I want you to leave your father's house. Now, that might seem redundant to the family thing, but it's actually not. Father's house here represents livelihood. 
It represents his, his, his business, his inheritance. Because in this day and age, the, you just, when you grew up, you just joined whatever the family business was. That's how you made a living. And if you had any chance of being prosperous, if you had any chance of having a good financial life, you had to just invest in and help grow the family business. And God's telling him, hey, I want you to leave all of that. Leave that behind. Not to mention any shot at inheritance. Because again, your inheritance only came through your father's family and your father's business. There was no 401k, right? There was no union, uh, you know, retirement plans. There was no social security. If you had any shot at inheritance, it was through the father. And he's saying, I want you to leave your father's house. Leave all of that behind. This, this kind of risk, it would have been a big risk, required great faith that God had a better plan for his future. And then he tops it off with this. He says, I want you to go from your country, from your kindred, from your, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Did you notice the future tense there? <laughs> like he hasn't even told Abraham where he's going yet. He hasn't even told him what he's asking him to leave all of this to get, to gain. He had no idea. It reminds me of that, that game show they've kind of re- resurrected now with, uh, with, with Brady, the Let's Make a Deal. Right, have you guys seen this thing, right, where they, they have this stuff and then they pull them up and there's always like two or three doors. Like, all right, now you got to pick. Do you want door one or door two? But the problem is you don't know what's behind either one of them, right? Abraham had no idea what was behind the door. God's just saying, do you trust me enough? Do you have enough faith that I have a better future for you that you'll leave all of this behind? This was the moment of truth. Not to mention him calling Abraham to another land wasn't just about the land, but in this time period, people thought about gods as being regional or territorial. In other words, you, God was over this, this guy was over this area, this guy was over this area. So to change lands, to change locations, would have been also meant to change gods. And so he's calling Abraham not only to a new place, but to a new heart of worship. He's calling him to come, like, will you come and worship me in my land that I'm taking you to and leave all of this other behind? And it says in verse 8, back in Hebrews chapter 11, and he went out not knowing where he was going. This was the moment of truth. Abraham had heard God's call, he had heard his offer, and he had to choose. Will I abandon the land I have now for some future land that Yahweh is going to show me? Will I abandon the family that I have now for whatever family is going to look like and what Yahweh is offering in the future? Will I abandon the blessing and the inheritance that I have, that I can see, that I can touch with my Father right now for the hopes and the promise of whatever God's going to provide in the future that I can't see? And it says, he went out. He made a full, definite break with his former life. He pursued a definite and yet unknown place that he believed God was taking him to. He believed God for a definite inheritance that was greater than what he currently knew. And he was only able to do this. He was only able to follow God in this way because he had faith in the Lord that his plan was better. For many people, this is where faith falls short. This is where our faith fails. We believe in God, 
We believe that he's God. We believe that he's powerful. We believe that he's even sovereign. But we don't believe that he's good. Not really. Because we say things, we think things, where we, we, we think that we don't believe that his plan for the future will actually be better than our plan for the future. And so we say things like, I love Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but, but not enough to give, trusting that he'll provide for me if I do. I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but not enough to say no to the social demands on my kids' activities, trusting that time with the Lord, time in his word, time with his people is actually more valuable and better for their future than whatever else the culture is offering. I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but not enough to forgive my spouse and to trust him to heal my marriage. I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, but not enough to satisfy me. Not enough to satisfy me if I don't get the promotion or the mate that I want or the car that I want or the degree or the American dream. I don't really believe that he is good enough to satisfy me if I don't get the future that I want. And so I'm constantly trying to orchestrate and plan and do my thing and just tag God onto the end of it. Rather than believing that God's plan is actually better than anything I could come up with anyways. But to think this way is to completely misunderstand God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty doesn't just guarantee that he has a plan. It doesn't just guarantee that he is in control. It guarantees that his plan will be the best possible outcome for my life. That's what sovereignty means. Because if God is sovereign and God is good, which he is both, his plan cannot be anything but perfect. There is no better plan than the plan that God has for you, for your life. Which means we can believe him for a better future than whatever it is we think that we're running after. Believe God's plan is better. That's the first thing we see from Abraham. Second thing we can learn from Abraham comes from verse 9. Hebrews 11, verse 9. Point number two, believe God's promise is trustworthy. Believe that his promise is trustworthy. It says this in verse 9. It says, by faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise. The land of promise. What, what promise is he talking about here? Well, again, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 2 and 3, and I want to show you the promise that he gives to Abraham from the very outset of this calling. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, he says, And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So that's the promise. So let's take this apart. Number one, he's, the main thing he says is, I'm going to make you a great nation. But in that statement, I'm going to make you a great nation, actually implies kind of three other promises or three other parts to that promise. If you're going to be a great nation, first of all, you have to have land. 
right? You have to have somewhere to reside. You have to have some territory to rule over. So in promising him that he's going to be a great nation, it's promising, hey, I'm going to give you some land for you to be a nation in. So it's the promise of land. Secondly, to be a great nation, you have to have people, right? That's what makes up a nation. And so, hey, I'm going to give you a, a, a people to govern, a people to reside over. But specifically for Abraham, this people are going to be your descendants, they're going to come from your family, we find out later. I'm going to grow this nation from you. Right? So I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to give you people, and he says I'm going to give you blessing or favor. So he doesn't just say I'm going to make you a nation, right? He says I'm going to make you a great nation, implying that God's favor and blessing is going to be on them in such a way that they're going to be great compared to what the other nations are. So he gives... Abraham, this like just really robust, beautiful promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. But not just that, he keeps going. He says, and you will be a blessing. In other words, this promise isn't just for you. It's not just for your benefit. I'm going to use you to be a blessing to others as well. Abraham and his nation are going to become a channel of blessings to other people. And not just to a few people. He says, to all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth shall be blessed which is mind-blowing, I'm sure, for Abraham. And what we see here in that statement is the start, it's the seed of the prophecy of the coming Messiah who's going to be a blessing to the entire world. And he's telling Abraham, my my Savior, my Messiah, the one who's going to come and and set everything right, he's going to come through your family, through your nation. And we see the seeds of the gospel already being planted right here in the very beginning with Abraham. And Abraham's family line, through his faith, through his obedience to God, is going to give way to all these other promises of God coming true. This is why the gospel is for all people. The gospel is not just a Christian thing. The gospel is a global thing. Because every single person on this planet has been born with a sinful heart and a sinful nature, and we do sinful things, and we rebel against God, and we disobey his word, and we violate his holiness, and because of that, we deserve wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell for the sin that we've committed against a perfect and holy God. And yet, from the very beginning, God was already making a plan that he could save us from that punishment. That he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to come and to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then go to the cross as a substitute and die in our place. To die for the sin that we committed, for, to die the death that we deserved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be brought close, so we could have relationship with God again. And he died on the cross and he was buried and three days later he rose back to life. Conquering sin and death. Proving that he was God, that he was the Messiah and offering salvation to everyone who will believe in him. Who will have faith in him. Like Abraham had faith in God. All the earth was cursed by sin. We've seen the evidence of that already in Genesis as we've been walking through Hebrews 11. All of the earth was cursed by sin, but now he's promising Abraham right here, he's promising him that all the earth will be blessed 
by Jesus coming to deal with that sin and the salvation that he offers through faith in him. And he even, he even explains it further right there in that last part of, of verse 3. He says this, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and in, in him who dishonors you, I will curse. This is a promise for Abraham and his life for sure, but it's even a promise beyond Abraham. He's saying, listen, God is speaking of those who will join Abraham in faith and those who won't. He's saying that those who join Abraham in faith will be blessed to be a part of God's family through Jesus Christ, this promised Messiah that is coming. But those who do not believe, who dishonor God, will be cursed with eternity and death and hell. But it all started with the promise of a great nation. A promise made to Abraham and a call. Will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will you trust me? Will you put your faith in me and go to this new land so we can start this new chapter in salvation history? And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 again, it says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. So picture this for a second. I want you to just think about this. So, so he goes, like God calls him, he goes, he, he makes it all the way to the promised land, right? He leaves behind his, his, his beautiful city and Ur, and he goes, and he finally gets to the land that God has promised to give him for his inheritance, and he has to live in tents. Now, some of y'all are like, yeah, let's go, right? Like, you're like, I love camping, right? Like, take the camper out for the weekend, do the whole week thing, like, be out in nature, reconnect with, with everything. Like, I'm all for it. Some of y'all are, like, hardcore backpacking into the woods and setting up the tent and the whole thing, and you love it. And I don't understand you. <laughs> like, give me public transportation, a nice hotel bed, and a great Italian restaurant, and I'm set, right? Like, but, but some of y'all, you love it. You love to go camping. You love to get out there in nature. That's awesome. But here's the thing, you always come back home. You don't live there, right? At some point, you're like, all right, I'm going back home to the nice comfort and the security and the AC and the regular bathrooms. And like, I'm, at some point, oh, you, you don't live there, right? Abraham had to live there for the next 100 years, the remaining 100 years of his life. He's living in tents, wandering around the promised land. Him and Sarah, never putting down roots, never settling into a city, waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise. And we see what happens, we see what would have happened if they would have chosen the other way. If you know anything about Abraham's story, when he came to the promised land, he brought this guy with him, his nephew named Lot, right? And at some point, they separate ways, and Lot goes this way, and Abraham goes this way. And Lot ends up getting sick and tired of living the tent life. And he moves into a city, an existing city in the land called Sodom. Bad move, Because right? God comes down, he ends up destroying the whole city. His wife dies in the process, and Lot never makes his way back to God. But not Abraham and Sarah. They waited on the Lord. They trusted in the Lord. They kept walking around with their tent 
And it says not just him, but Hebrews tells us that both Abraham and his son Isaac, the next generation, and his grandson Jacob. So for three generations, his family is wandering around, living in tents in the so-called promised land. But they're still believing that God's going to do it. And I th- it, to just think about it, I'm just like, man, how, do, how do you do that? How, how do you live all those years like that? Well, here's the deal. They weren't living on the promised land. They were living on the promises of God. It's not about the outcome. It's not about when I get what I want from God. It's about me living in faith and trusting that what God says is true and he is going to do it. If not today, if not tomorrow, at some point, even in eternity, he will fulfill the promises that he has given to his people. That was the faith that Abraham and his family had. That God is trustworthy and sovereign and he will bring his promises to pass. We struggle with this so much in our culture today. Our culture expects promises to be delivered on immediately, right? Like, just think about it. Like, I was thinking about sports, right? You bring in the new coach. If they don't turn that, if they don't turn that team around, like, in the first season, psh, gone, right? Like, like you've got to get it done. When you think about government. We elect somebody new into office. If we're not seeing results in the first 100 days, we're ready to boot them and get the next guy, right? Because we're expecting it now. Think about your health, right? You want to lose those pounds, you get on that new program, and if you're not seeing results in like three days, you're like, I'm out, I'm done. Like, I want the promise now. We expect it to come now. But it doesn't always work that way. I was thinking this week about, I got a letter, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about the stock market this week. And, you know, Courtney and I, we, we're invested in the stock market with hopes with the, with the promise that one day that's going to grow to such a fact that we will be able to sustain ourselves when we have to retire and I can no longer do this anymore. Right? There's, there's that hope. There's that promise that we're waiting for. And if I was looking at the last five months, that promise would not look good. Right? Like, it would look really, really bad right now. But here's the thing. We're not, thankfully, we're not living on the promise we're not living on the market in those funds right now we're living in the promise that one day that's going to bring a yield that will be good for our family god works the same way we don't live on the outcomes of our faith that's not what keeps us going it's not god promised this and now i see it and now i have it so now i can keep going We live on the promises of God, trusting that he is sovereign, that he is good, and he will fulfill them, if not in this life, one day in the next. Sometimes he fulfills them now, but oftentimes he fulfills them later. And he does that to build our faith, to teach us how to trust him in the waiting, and to keep going even when we can't see it some of you are living in this right now some of you are sick or hurting or have some kind of illness that has just been debilitating you for months or even years and you are believing in God's promise for healing and God does promise to heal 
But if you're living day by day, every moment, just looking and waiting and, and, and just crying out for that promise, for that healing, it's going to be miserable. If you know, God promises to provide for us, he promises even to bless us. But if you're always living your life for the next blessing, for the next blessing, for the next blessing, you will never be satisfied. God promises a perfect existence in his presence with him. But if you're looking for that to happen in this life, on this earth, your faith is going to be shattered and you're going to be in dissolution. Because the promises don't always happen now. But that doesn't mean they're not true. It doesn't mean they're not coming. God will fulfill his promises either in this life or the next, but we don't live on the outcomes of the promises. We live on the promises themselves because they flow from God's character. That he is good, and he is sovereign, and he is trustworthy. Believe God's promise is trustworthy. That's the second thing we see from Abraham. One more thing. Look at verse 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Point number three is this. Believe God's power will deliver. Believe God's power will deliver. It says in verse 10 that Abraham, he was looking forward. I love that. I love that that Hebrews points this out to us, that he was looking forward. He was looking beyond the here and now. He was looking beyond this temporary life. He was looking to his eternal destination that was coming one day. He knew that if God did not deliver on the promise now in this life, he would somehow deliver on the promise in the future, in eternity, for his family, for the next generation, whatever that might look like. He believed that God was trustworthy and that his power would come through to deliver according to his sovereign plan. And he says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Notice, he's looking forward to the city. Not to the tents anymore, right? Not to the fields, not to the wandering around. This is my biblical proof that that's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in the city, okay? Okay, you guys aren't behind that. Okay, so, but he's looking forward to the city. I think the, the emphasis here is actually because it's a permanent home. Right? Tents aren't permanent. Tents are temporary. A city, city is permanent. And we know it's permanent because he says it's a city with foundations. Those foundations point us to the unfading durability of an eternal place with the Lord where he's going to be living with God, with his family, in the unfading city for all of eternity. And he emphasizes this again. He says the foundations whose designer and builder is God. The designer and the builder. Meaning, this city was fully planned and completed by God himself. And therefore, the city is superior and it is permanent because from conception to completion, it is the work of God. We can't find a better future than that. 
We can't find a better land. We can't find a better place to go than the place that God designed and built for us. It's a perfect home built by a perfect God. And so we see here that faith is believing that regardless of my earthly circumstances, that God is bringing a better future. He is. And one day God will provide so that there is no more poverty or need. No more unpaid bills. One day God will heal so that there is no more illness, no more death, no more struggle. One day God will reconcile so there are no more broken relationships or bitterness or strife. One day God will recreate so there's no more natural disasters or destruction. One day, God will redeem, so there's no more sin. There's no more rebellion. One day, God's plan for us will come to a perfect completion because he is the sovereign Lord and he accomplishes all that he promises. Friends, you need to know this morning, God is sovereign, which means you can trust him to deliver a better future. He will. He will every time. And so let's lock arms with Abraham. Let's follow the father of faith, and let's join him in this reality that faith follows God to a better future. Will you stand with me? Let's pray and respond to the Lord this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you, God, so much again for giving us this place every Sunday to come to worship you, to be with your family. Lord, to hear from your word, Lord, to let your Holy Spirit move and work in our hearts, God. And and Lord, I I just believe that there are some in this room today, Lord, even myself in some ways, Lord, that need need this course correction to our faith. But we need to be reminded of who you are, that we can trust you because you are the sovereign God. And so, Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you today. We're confessing that even when we don't believe it, even when we don't act on it, Lord, that you are sovereign. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for all the times where we doubt you, where we doubt your plans for our lives, where we think that we can do it better, where we think that we have a better idea, we have a better future in mind than you do. Lord, humble us. Lord, show us that your ways are better, that your power is unmatched that your promises are true, that your plans are best. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you in faith for now and for our future. Pray all this in Christ's name.